It's interesting how certain books of the Bible can grab our attention and take us for a ride, while others can help us take a nice long nap. For instance, if you mention the book of Leviticus, immediately, already some people in this room have just fallen asleep. Why? Because working through this book is hard. It's difficult. It's not the typical book you go to for your quiet time. Amen? I don't. I go to John. John and his gospel. But if you mention the book of Revelation, you get a different response. It's been said that if you want to increase attendance at church, you do a study on the book of Revelation. But it's also been said that if you want to serve division in your church, you also do a study in the book of Revelation. Why? Because there is something so different and mysterious about this book that causes conflict. Or it keeps you interested in wanting more. There's no other book like it. And literally, it's a book in its own class. But it's important to keep in mind that the book of Revelation is a story. It's a grand story with a theme. And like any other story, there are characters, objects, and themes. They are important to John because... He is trying to communicate something to his readers. He's trying to communicate a message to me and to you today. And he does so in a way that not only relates to his audience, but John communicates to them so that his audience will understand. Yes, Revelation is a book that's tricky and is difficult, and there's so much that's going on. But through the work of the Holy Spirit, You can understand this message. Even though this is the case at John, I will argue, John, the author, he's very difficult to understand at times. Has anyone ever experienced that before? John is a cryptic writer. And what do I mean by this? John, he is one of the the master storytellers in all of the Bible. I mean, how does John 1-1 begin? In the beginning was the word. And you're immediately, you're drawn back to the book of Exodus where God creates something out of nothing. And John connects the word of God to Jesus. And he tells us that Jesus is in fact God. And in that gospel, John does something that is masterful. He uses the entire gospel to give you case-by-case evidence to show you that not only Jesus, not, but that not only is Jesus a man, he is, in fact, God, the promised Messiah. John uses his imagination and creativity in his writings. And that's one of the many reasons why it makes him exciting to read. It's one of the reasons why I love him as a New Testament author. But... He is hard to understand. But that's John. That's the Apostle John. We have to take him with that. That's how he writes. But it's interesting. In the way he writes, in the way he communicates to me and to you, he does invite you in this journey and seeking for truth. Anybody who's reading the Gospel of John or the book of Revelation or any of John's writings can at least participate with John in that. 
Are you seeking for truth here this morning? And if so, you've come to the right place in listening to the Apostle John. So, how do we as the reader respond? What do we do? We simply start by asking the right kind of questions. For instance, when you read Revelation, you ask, what is John saying? What is he trying to communicate about this lamb? What do these numbers mean? Everybody has a theory on the numbers. What about these bizarre animals and these creatures who are around the throne? What does this mean, John? These are an example of good questions that we need to ask ourselves because this book is very difficult. But again, John invites us into a journey in learning how to understand what this book is all about. This is part of my job and your job as the reader. You must investigate the text and rely on God through the power of the Holy Spirit to enlighten you. There is no other way for you to get understanding at least in a revelatory way, from God, but through that way. So if you are seeking for truth, turn to Christ. Ask him to open up your heart and your minds right now, and he will graciously give it to you. And so with that mind, with that in mind, we'll, let's turn to our text, which will be in Revelation chapter 5, where we'll attempt to unpack this chapter. And we're, going to, and we're going to work in seeking to answer the question, who is worthy to open this scroll? And that's the title of this message. Who is worthy to open this scroll? A study on the conquering lamb. So as you're turning to the book of Revelation, chapter 5, I'd like to make a few suggestions that can help us this morning. Since this book is so hard to understand, turn to God and ask him for help. Come to the text with humility and openness to learn. You might not have it all right, or you might not have it all figured out to get, or might not have it all figured out. And that's okay. Coming to the text with a heart of humility is the way we are supposed to as Christians. We're inviting God to teach us. We are not the teacher, we are the students. Listen to the teacher and let him work. And next, Let's not let this book scare us. Oftentimes when Revelation is mentioned in a Bible study, we get excited, but then sometimes we get scared. It's overwhelming. There's too much going on. But let's not let that intimidate this morning. But let's not let that intimidate us this morning. In my view, much of John's writing is symbolic, which is reflective in his descriptive imagination. But let that encourage you, not intimidate you. I'm inviting you to let your imagination go with John in the text. We need to think about what's going on together. And most importantly, we need to think along the side with John. Let your imagination go with him for the ride. One scholar said it best about John. John's theology is visual. God is the author. But the apostle John is like the executive director. The entire script is birthed from the very mouth of God, and John is doing his absolute best to communicate a heavenly message to us, an earthly audience. Now, this is not an easy task, but John, through the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is up for the job. 
So are you ready to take this ride? Let's turn and ask the Lord to help us and read our text. Revelation 5 says this, Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open up the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been, as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes and with the seven spirits of God sent out into all of the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open up its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, Amen. And the elders fell down and worship Almighty God. This, O oh Lord, is a powerful, powerful text, and only you, Father, can teach us. We need your help, Lord. We need the Holy Spirit to speak in us and through us and to us. And Lord, we are asking you to do a mighty work in our lives right here and right now. Encourage us in our faith. Encourage us in our faith journey. Help us, Lord, to fight against sin. But Lord, let us see the exalted Lamb as the one who is worthy. He is the slain Lamb. And we are to worship Him. God, thank you for your work. Thank you for this Messiah. And thank you for Christ. We love you, God, because you first loved us. And so work in the lives of my friends and brothers and sisters now. In Christ's name that we pray, amen. And so the goal of this sermon is simple. It's just to answer the question, who is worthy to open the scroll? In the text I see 
three observations that describe the lamb, and they are as follows. Jesus is unique and victorious. Jesus is majestic and reveals the future. And lastly, Jesus is worthy to be praised. And so we'll turn to the exposition of the text very shortly. But let's, let's keep in mind a few things as well in trying to understand John. A symbol is anything that represents anything other than itself. Words are symbols. Metaphors are symbols. It's how we communicate today in our culture. For example, if you want to communicate happiness to someone via text, you send them a smiling emoji. Or if you want to describe Michael Jordan to someone, um, to someone as the GOAT because he's the greatest basketball player of all time, you send a GOAT emoji. If used right, symbolisms can communicate a powerful message. In 1941, forgive me for this, I'm a nerd. Captain America was first introduced on the cover of a comic book. (laughs) And on the front cover, you see Steve Rogers, who is the first Captain America in his classic suit with his shield. But on the cover, he's doing something. He's punching the face of Adolf Hitler. Hitler, who at that time is the representation of evil, has met his match with the moral American patriot slash superhero named Captain America. (laughs) Anyone who picked up that comic book during that time would understand what that front cover is trying to communicate. Hitler's time is up. America's going to take him down. (laughs) Right? (laughs) A lot of amens. That's right. Stan Lee and many of these authors were exciting and interesting to read. They use this one man, Steve Rogers, Captain America, as a symbol of hope during a dark time where war was apparent, or war was constant. And in the book of Revelation, we have something similar taking place. The front cover of this book is pictured a lion-slash-lamb-like figure. And that lion-slash-lamb figure represents the king of kings, who is Jesus the Christ. And opposite him is a dragon. He is fierce. And that dragon is Satan. The two face off in this book in an epic battle of good versus evil. And the book of Revelation is a showdown between the lion, the lamb, the lion who is the lamb, and this dragon. Every number, character, and creature has a purpose and a meaning in communicating this story. And when you reach the end of the book, what happens? You're encouraged. You're energized. Because the fact of the matter is, Satan doesn't win. The lamb triumphs. And those who are redeemed are celebrating around the throne with this lamb. The great dragon loses and is defeated By a lamb. The Messiah reigns, and his name is Jesus. So, Christian, don't lose hope. The evil one has been defeated. So stay the course and don't get off track. Revelation, John's message, his appeal to the churches is stay faithful. And if you stay faithful, you will receive a crown of life. 
History tells us at this time when John was writing, he was writing to a group of Asian Christians who were scattered throughout the regions of the continent. And get this, guys. Many of them have recently been converted to Christianity. And guess what was taking place? They were facing persecution. And some of them were about to face persecution for their faith. Now, we live in the West, and in the U.S., And I don't know, I've never experienced persecution for my faith. I've never been been put in jail or arrested. And the idea of death has never crossed my mind because I'm a Christian. We don't experience that here in the West. But in the East, many of our brothers and sisters are experiencing it right now. And this was very true back in the first century. People were dying because of their allegiance to King Jesus. Dangerous. This faith is dangerous. But is it worth it? So part of what John wants to do is to remind the people about what happens in the end. God wins. The present struggles and the persecutions are worth it if you are in Jesus Christ. John encourages the church to not look at their current situation. He encourages them to live by faith and look to the Lamb. Pledge your allegiance to Him, not to Rome, not to America, not to the American dream, but to the King of Kings. Seek to worship Him, because if you seek to worship Him, you will not be distracted by the work of the evil one. The dragon is a fierce beast. But King Jesus, if you stick to him, he'll defeat him in the form of a lamb. Look to the victorious king. That is the message from John. Jesus is this victorious king. And he accomplishes something that no other person in human history can accomplish So turning back to the text, Jesus is unique and is victorious. And this is found in verses 1 through 5. We are introduced to John's vision. And what we see here in the heavenly throne room where God is sitting on a throne is an interesting scene. God is being praised by the four creatures and elders and angels, which I believe these all represent creation, humans, beasts, and the angelic beings. And every single one of them is represented there, worshiping God Almighty. And notice, God alone is the one on the throne. But there is tension in this scene. The scene that began with praise in the chapter before, where, where, where God is being recognized by all of these, these creatures and humans and beasts, now faces a possible horror. God who was on the throne... He has something in his hand, and in his hand is a scroll, but it's sealed. But next, the angel says something that is earth-shattering, and John pays close attention to it. The question that is asked is, who is able to open the scroll, and who will break its seals? Surely, there is someone in heaven who can open up the scroll. But what does John notice? There is tension. There is some despair. There is is some angst. 
And to John's surprise, but to John's surprise, there is no one. Not one person is found worthy. Remember, in taking up the scroll and all of his contents, this is God's entirety, and this is the entirety of God's word. All of his decrees, all of his testaments, all of his sacraments, everything that's associated with God and his word is, 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 is in this scroll. So whoever can open up this scroll and whoever has the honor and the worth in doing so will have the recognition, the power, and the praise that's due to God alone. But notice, John does not see anybody Verse 3 tells us no one is found in what? In heaven, in earth, and even under the earth to open up the scroll. Meaning that after the angel asked this question, there was a search party. They're trying to find a person who is able to open up the scroll. The first search party expands into the heavens. But as they look and as they search, there's no one to be found and then they, they, they reach down into the earth and they continue the search all throughout the earth, but nobody is found. And lastly, the search ends under the earth. And again, as the prior to, no person is found. There is a situation. Nobody is worthy. Does this mean that evil has won? Does this mean that Satan has defeated God? God has never been defeated. So what is taking place? Why is there nobody who is worthy to open up this scroll? There is indeed an issue, and that issue is sin. It's cursed every single person in this room. You're not worthy. I'm not worthy. Pastor Jason's not worthy. Pastor Dave is not worthy. The most spiritual person that you know is not worthy. So it leaves us in a situation. What do we do? What, what, what are we supposed to do? How do we respond? I'll tell you what I would do. I'll be just like John. John is feeling the effects of this current situation. He puts himself into the story of this vision and he responds. He responds in tearful despair because the reality is there isn't anybody all hope seems lost. Surely Adam is a good representative of God, right? No. What about Noah? Nope. What about Abraham? The man who, have, who would be the father of many nations. Surely he would be a good representative. Surely he can open up the scroll. Nope. What about Isaac? Jacob? The sons of Abraham? What about Moses, the greatest prophet in all the world or in all of history, the teacher of the law? Can he open up the scroll? No. But what about King David? He is, in fact, a king, the greatest king in all the history of the Israelites. Surely this man must be worthy to open up a scroll. No. Because when you turn to 2 Samuel 7 or 2 Samuel 9, David, too, is unworthy. John feels this burden of what is taking place. And so far, every single person who has been considered to open up the scroll is tainted by the curse of sin. 
But what takes place? Something miraculous takes place in verse 5. Wait, 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 wait a second here. An elder calls out, John, there is a person. There is one person. John, do not weep. Weep no more. There is one person, and that person is worthy. John is reassured from this elder that there is hope. He says, behold, listen to the description of this individual, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. He's conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. A miracle has taken place. An intercessor has come. The Messiah, the King of Kings, Jesus, from the, line, from the line of Judah, the line of David, has come. And this is all interesting. These are all callbacks to Old Testament passages. You think of Genesis 49, 2 Samuel 7, Isaiah 11, where you have foreshadowings of this Messiah. Now, we don't know what he's going to look like. At best, we can just describe what he's going to do and how he's going to act. In Genesis 49, Jacob prophesies that there will be a special king through the line of Judah. 2 Samuel 7, God promises David that he will always have a son reigning on the throne. And in Isaiah, Isaiah 11, the prophet prophesies that a Messiah will come from the root of Jesse, David's father. But as you go through David's lineage, what do you see? Every single king after David is unworthy. And John knows this. John knows this. But there's something different and unique about this lion. This lion has conquered. It's interesting that John uses this word here, conquer. It's used a lot in this book, but it's done so in a way that's very different and unique and specific to John. The the lion who conquers... The lion that conquers, that, that, that is what actually qualifies him in opening up the scroll. The word conquered is a militaristic word. We're used to, we understand what that means. When you think of conquering, you think of overcoming your foes. In fact, we get our word Nike from this. Just do it. But the way that this word is used in Revelation is different and unique. And given in how it's used in its context, it is revolutionary. When it's used to the lamb, conquering actually means conquering through defeat. What does that mean? The lion doesn't conquer in a way that's similar to the earthly kings and kingdoms. He doesn't expand his power or influence through greed or violence. Instead, he does something completely different. The lion conquers through obedience. He conquers through love and devotion to the Father. And eventually we come to find out that the lion is a faithful son who is perfect, who is complete, and he is sinless. The conquering lion goes to the cross and defeats sin by doing what? By being defeated, by being killed, by being conquered by sin, at least for a season. The lion from the tribe of Judah humbles himself and and takes it upon himself to go to the cross and die on behalf of sinners like you and me. And that is the conquering that John is talking about here about this this lion. 
That's unique. And it implements one of the most powerful representations of this gospel. The way that this world will be changed and, this, and God's people will be changed is through a new heart. It's through obedience to the Lamb of God. And it's modeled by this precious lion. So as a lion conquers, he conquers with a vision and understanding that I'm going to glorify my Father and he's going to glorify me. He is recognized and victorious for his work. And that is what qualifies him to open up the scroll and all of its seven seals. What did the lamb accomplish? He accomplished something that we cannot do on our own. He defeated death itself by dying on behalf of sinners like us. What an accomplishment. The honor and the glory and the power is all reserved for him because of that. The work, the fight, the obedience, everything that Jesus had accomplished is for the sole purpose of doing the work of his father. It's through this one man that we have this reality, guys. Sin has been defeated in your life if you are in Christ. Jesus most certainly deserves the right to open up the scroll and all of his contents because he is the lion from the tribe of Judah. And he demonstrates to us what does a true son look like. And so, for a second, John experienced a situation of despair and hopelessness. But someone had to remind him quickly, hey, there is nothing to cry about, my friend. There is hope. And there is someone I want to introduce you to. His name is Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the one who is worthy to open up the scroll. And guess what? He went to battle for me. He went to battle for you. And he is going to crush the dragon. No other person in this world can do this. This lion, he is fierce. He's committed to the word of God. He's sticking to his gun. He's not going to be defeated by sin. And so when he goes to the cross, he defeats sin. He defeats sin by being defeated for us. Satan has no power over him. And we symbolically see and powerfully see that after three days, after Christ died, his resurrection guarantees and proves to us he is the promised lamb, the Messiah. He is alive. He is truly conquering. And so if you are in Christ, you're called to live with a mindset that's similar to Jesus. Jesus challenges the church to persevere, to continue to the end, and to conquer as he has conquered. Live out the life, live out your life in the power of the gospel. If you're chasing at the passions of the flesh, reject that. Listen to the warnings that John is giving to the seven churches. Repent, turn to Christ, and look at him and see him as most glorious and victorious. Christ has conquered, and so can you. Does the power and hope of the gospel give you this, kind, give you this type of confidence to live out your, your life fearlessly and confidently in his blood? Ask yourself, are you falling for the lies of the evil one? Are you falling for the deceptions of this world that's presented by the, by the dragon? Don't lust after the flesh or the desires that Satan is presenting to you. Seek out to live in a life that's pure and obedient and is attracted to God. 
And if you do so, you are actively building apart, you are actively building God's kingdom. And you are furthering the work that God has given to you. Let the worthiness and the finished work of Christ be your motivation for life. Let that be the reason why you wake up, why you go out from your home and go to work and you share the gospel. Let the gospel of Jesus Christ be the reason why you are alive today. Second, Jesus is majestic and he reveals the future. And this is found in verses six and seven. We're introduced to a lamb following this lion. Immediately, I'm taken back. And I wonder if John is taken back. And John describes for us this change. Why a lamb? Oftentimes when you think of a lamb in the Bible, you think of a cute, soft, humble animal that's about to be prepared for a sacrifice and is on the altar. Lambs are one of the many sacrificial animals used for Restoring one back to God or for, or, or, or for appealing to God for the remission of sins. And during the sacrificial system, a messy thing takes place to that animal. He is violently killed on behalf of the other person as a substitute. So why a lamb? It's because John wants to remind us of this fact. He wants us to see that this fierce lion is now a humble lamb. He's ready to be sacrificed. This lamb is different and unique. He's blameless. He's perfect. But he's in the form of a person. And notice, notice what, what the lamb is doing. He's in the throne room of heaven. That's risky. Don't you know that if you stand before God and if you're not holy or perfect or blameless, you will be destroyed. You cannot stand in the presence of God on your own works alone. So what is this lamb doing or thinking? He must be bold and he must be unique. He's in the midst of the other elders and the creatures before the throne of God. Surely he will be swallowed up in a flame. But he's not. We're described, John, John further tells us that the lamb is further described as standing in the throne room. And not only is he standing, but John noticed something specific about him. The lamb is damaged. He's hurt. He's bleeding. He is wounded. Again, these are symbols and illusions that, that John wants to remind the church. This, this risen Christ, this Messiah, the, the, the one who is a lamb, yes, he is a lion, but yes, he is also a lamb. He died on behalf of sinners like you, and that, is for re, and that is a reality that will be forever present for us today. And so when we see him in the, in the throne of heaven as well, you will see this damaged lamb. You will see his hand, you will see his hands that are pierced. You will see his side that was pierced, and you will see, you will see the lamb who is damaged. But he's standing, and he is not dead. John wants you to know that. He's masterfully painting the picture of this lamb and reminding his first century audience and us the cross where this lamb died. That was not his final resting place. 
His suffering was temporary. And when he died, it was temporary. Sin could not keep him in the grave any longer. And three days later, something miraculous happened. A powerful resurrection takes place, and the Lamb of God, who was slain, is alive. The risen Lamb is not consumed. And John further sees that he has horns and eyes and spirits. And all these things represent the Lamb's authority. His omniscience and the Lamb's power over all of the earth. Who is this creature? Who is this individual? He is something else. How did he survive this death? He was killed, wasn't he? But how is he alive? It's because righteousness cannot stay in the grave. Holiness cannot stay in the grave And the person of Jesus Christ, who is perfect, cannot be defeated by sin. The role of Christ becomes clearer as the Lamb is the one who is worthy to open up the scroll. The prophecies, the decrees, the judgments, the salvation of mankind, and the will of God, all of this is in the scroll and is now in the hands of the slain Lamb of God. The life, the sacrifice, the blood, the gruesome death, all of that was worth it. It was worth it because it proves and it shows the worth and the value of this son. Do you think the lamb is precious and is worthy to be praised? John thinks so. And in his hand and in the scroll, the lamb has the future of all mankind. So if you want hope this morning, your hope better be in Christ. He is your hope and your hope alone. And that is a good thing. We shouldn't have confidence in ourselves. We shouldn't have confidence in our Bible knowledge. We shouldn't have confidence in how long we've been in the faith. The only thing that you should have confidence is is knowing that Jesus Christ is your righteousness and is your hope. Because he is alive, he is interceding for you right now, telling the Father, he's mine, she's mine, he's mine, she's mine. And his future, and your, excuse me, and your future is in his hands. Now, this is during a time, this is written during a time where this church was forgetting that. They were were feeling the effects of the world on their shoulders, and some of them were thinking, this is not worth it. This is not worth it. But John, again, is appealing to them. No, it is worth it because the Lamb of God is alive, and he was slain, and look at his marvelous work. Let the gospel transform you. Trust in him. Trust in his righteousness because Jesus alone is worthy. And what is it that makes him worthy? It is his sacrifice, and his sacrifice alone. The King of kings, the Lamb of God, died on behalf of sinners like us. And lastly, Jesus is worthy to be praised. And this is found in verses 8 through 14. Now remember, it wasn't long ago when we, first saw, when we first saw John in a different state of mind. He's gone through an emotional roller coaster from despair to now an overwhelming amount of joy. And John is seeing something that he's never, ever seen before. The heavens and all of the earth are participating in something known as songs and hymns and praise. But notice, in chapter 4, those songs and hymns and praise were given to God. 
But now they're crescendoing and being given to this lamb. The acclamation of Christ starts at the throne. It's the center of everything, and it spreads into every, and it spreads to every circle in the universe. The sacrificial work of Christ has brought about a new song, a new song for the elders to sing, the creatures to sing, the angels to sing, sing, and the saints to sing. Every single creature in earth and in the heavens must pause and recognize his greatness. This is truly the king of kings. David was great, but this King Jesus, oh, he is different. He is unique, and he is worthy. The elders begin the new psalm by directing the songs to the lamb himself. And notice, notice that it's followed by a list of accomplishments that qualify the lamb and further give him proof and evidence that he is alone worthy to open a scroll. The gospel is worth repeating again and again and again and reciting to everyone what Christ has accomplished. These accomplishments that Jesus has done, they are great. And they affect the angels and the four creatures surrounding the throne. And notice, each of them sing out and cry out with a loud voice worthy. That is a powerful word. And oftentimes, this word worthy, when it's attributed to somebody, especially in the book of Revelation, it is given to God specifically and to God alone. How is this lamb worthy? It's through his sacrifice and his death. The shedding of his blood, dying on the cross, These are the things that causes heaven and earth to rejoice. The lamb receives the honor and the praise in the same fashion as God in chapter 4, which can only mean one thing from John. This lamb is divine. He too is God. He too is God in the person and form of Jesus Christ, and his life is a representation of that. He is evidence that God is real and he exists and he has died for sinners like me and you. There are three things that result because of this work. First, notice that he purchased those to be in his kingdom. This kingdom is unique and it's in opposition to the earthly kingdoms. No other kingdom in the world can claim a universal dominion like this lamb. The nations from around the world, all have been affected, all have been affected by this king. And notice what does this lamb do? He purchased them and puts them in his kingdom. Second, the lamb has made them to be priests. At one point in time, this was a special honor just for one specific tribe. But everybody who's been, blo- who's, who's been bought by the blood of Jesus are now priests. They are holy as he is holy. And their citizenship in the kingdom of God is guaranteed and bought by the blood of the Lamb. Their service, their prayers, and devotion will continually be an offering that's a pleasing aroma before God because they will faithfully and completely and fully serve God obediently like the Lamb. 
These priests will have no flaws because they are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I am a flawed man. My prayers, my life, everything about me is flawed. And if it wasn't for Christ, I would not have a relationship with him, and I could not feel the effects of the gospel changing our life and my life, and my prayers would be nothing before God. But in the end, a transformation will take place for us. We will, if you are in Christ, be transformed into a new position as a priest. Your role will change. You will be holy and blameless. And the, and the priests will not just come from one tribe or nation. They will come from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. And I've never seen that before. I've never been in a room where every single people group has been represented. The closest I've ever been is in a conference where maybe 150, 170 people groups are represented. And that was amazing. But every single people group will be represented at the great throne because of this lamb. He is uniting the nations together through his powerful gospel. And what does the lamb do? The last thing, he causes them, us, everyone who's been bought by the blood of Christ, to reign on earth with him. The current rulers and the earthly kingdoms will all pass away. But for the ones who are in Christ, you will reign with him forever. He's bought you and made you into a kingdom of priests. We will be restored back to our original intentions. And we will be reigning with him on high. And we will all extol and, and, and represent and give praise and honor and glory to the God who has bought us with his blood. We will experience healing at a new level. We will experience unity at a new level. And we will experience worship at a level that you have never, ever experienced before. These psalms and praises are constant. They are constant reminders and they are a new song that comes from the hearts of the redeemed. And the redeemed are singing it. Listen to the chorus of the hymns. Worthy are you to take the scroll. Listen to the recognition. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them, us, a kingdom and a priest to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. This is a new song for John and he sees it and he hears it in the throne room of heaven. And this is but a glimpse of what pure worship looks like. Keep this in mind, church. The redeemed sons and daughters of God are also the ones participating in this great song. And I ask and appeal to you, is this your song? Is this how you see the risen lamb? Do you rejoice? Do you, do you rejoice in the fact of knowing that Christ is your righteousness and he has died for you? He has made a way that you can be right and back in a relationship with God. 
This is something amazing and glorious. This is a vision that we should have for the church, that we should have a representation of people from different backgrounds, and we're getting there. You've hired me, a Filipino guy, on staff. That is so amazing, and I am so appreciative of it. But there's more work to do. This gospel is so powerful that we cannot just keep it contained here in this church. It must go forth. It must go forth to to, to spread to those who have yet to hear and yet to repent. Because the lamb who is the lion is indeed worthy. And he is worthy of your praise. And so I ask you, brother and sister in Christ, does the work of this lion and lamb give you hope, give you joy, give you peace? Does he remind you or at least show you that that you don't have to trust in your own righteousness and strength anymore? I got this. The lion and lamb says, I got this. I will defeat Satan. I will defeat the evil one. And I will purchase you with my own blood. The scroll that he is holding in his hand is the right to your own life and to your own soul. If you trust in him, you are fully secured. There's nothing to worry about. The right response now is genuine worship and praise. So how are you worshiping? How are you living your life? Does the death of this lamb motivate you to live out your life in the power of the gospel? Or are you here this morning struggling in the dumps, battling against sin, confused, maybe distracted by your own thoughts, lusts, flesh, and desires? If that is the case, hear, hear the Lamb of God. He has defeated sin, and he can defeat it for you. Trust in the the righteous work of Christ. And look at the Lamb. He alone is worthy to be praised, and that should motivate you in worshiping him. Let's pray. Our Father and our most gracious God, Lord, you alone are worthy to be praised in the work that your son Jesus has accomplished. It's something that we are here today testifying and proclaiming to the world that this lamb reigns. Sin has not defeated him. And we can find hope and restoration because of Christ. And so, Father, we're making an appeal to whoever is here this morning who does not know you and is battling and is caught in the trenches of sin. Lord, awaken them. Remind them of who you are. Remind them that the gospel is glorious and that you have defeated sin for us. Let us worship you, God, with a heart that is pure and sings a new song calling out to you that you are worthy. You are worthy because you were slain. So, Father, we love you because you first loved us. And it's Christ's most holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.